Hello, everyone, uh, and welcome to another episode of The Edge. Uh, today, uh, I'm really happy to say that we have somebody I've known for a while. We have Mr. John Koss on here. Um, John, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome on a Friday afternoon. That's actually not looking too bad outside from my top room at the moment. It's starting um, to get dark, but... Um, <laughs> But, uh, but I'm going to ask you the same question as I ask everyone else, because although I may know a little bit about you, our listeners won't. Um, so the, the standard question is kind of, how did you start your journey? How did you end up in IT and security? Well, um, uh, going back many years, I'm, um, I'm in my mid-50s now. So we're going back really to the late 70s, um, early 80s. Um, which is um, quite funny because most of the my team that work for me at the moment, none of them were born. Uh, most of them were born in the late eighties and nineties, so it does make you feel your age. Um, I'm a, I'm an East End boy um, from um, from Hackney, Hackney Wick, in fact. Um, so really, technology hadn't um, uh, reached um, the East End of London certainly in the nineteen seventies, um, but. It's it's an interesting story, really, because um, I used to watch a lot of television, as many people did in the 70s and 80s. And I certainly was enthralled by a lot of the um, uh, sci-fi that was on at the time. Uh, I remember Space 1999 in the 70s, and you guys may remember that. That's been Martin Landau. Um, and I'd always been, you know, interested in security. But I think, um, you know, life throws curveballs at you sometimes and um i was one of uh, four children that my mum uh, uh my, my my dad brought up and unfortunately my dad died at the age of 38 so i was a uh, um i lost him when i was uh, four years old i don't really remember him too much so it isn't like a big loss um to say well i, I knew that person but it had a huge impact on me the fact and my, and, and my siblings and, and uh, my mother um, I'm the youngest by 11 years, um, so all my brothers and sisters are much, much older than me. I was the uh, uh, the Christmas mistake um, uh, by my birthday, which is in late September, so that will give you an idea. Um, and, yeah, I mean, obviously growing up without a father was, was, uh, was tough, um, but, you know, no tougher than a lot of people have it today. But my mum, she had to work many long hours and... I think she was at one stage, she had four or five jobs to look after us all, and um, it was tough, as it is today. Um, and unfortunately, um, in 1981, 18, 1980, 81, she had a, she had a brain hemorrhage. Um, Saturday morning, come downstairs, found her on the floor. She had uh, um, collapsed on the floor, and um, there was just me and my sister in the house. My, my other siblings had been married and left home. And we called an ambulance and, um, yeah, my mum was in hospital for nearly a year. Um, she had to have brain surgery um, and to fix um, the, the leak. And thankfully, um, uh, they, it, she recovered, but um, paralysed, I'm afraid. It, it caused a stroke that she would be paralysed for the rest of her life. And this changed everything for me as an individual. Um, uh, pretty much I was for a year living my aunts and my 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 nan uh, and my sister and when we finally got my mum back and I would have been about 13 at this stage um it's a weird thing I was it, I'd become very protective towards her 
you know, you've, you've got someone that's that's always been there for you and now in a wheelchair and you need to look after them. So I've become fixated with security and locks in particular. Um, and I would be, you know, I'd put new locks on the doors. I put locks on the windows. I just, it's strange to look back now, but obviously it was my way of coping with what had happened. I was 13 years old at the time. Um, and for me, it was, I was a man of the house. Um, my brother, uh, uh, moved out many years earlier and had family of his own, as did my other sister, my eldest sister. So there was really the three of us there. Um, and my sister would have already moved out and she'd come back to look after my mum. So it was me to me to look after the, after the household. And I think this got me into that. I'd had technology anyway, has been a large part of my life, but all of a sudden now life throws these things at you and you never know how you're going to react. Um, I remember dragging my mates, my friends um, from school to a, um, a security lock. Um, it was a, um, I would say it, it involved, it was a trade show. And um, I don't think they were too pleased about me dragging them there to, to look at all these new locks and security and alarm systems. But you can see the path. And then um, I think come along the, the film War Games, which was with Matthew um broderick in 1983 i believe it was and that really changed everything because i'd already had um access to an, a zx80 for those of you that are uh, non-techies or of uh um slightly, slightly younger than me look it up one of the first computers in the uk by sinclair by sir clive sinclair and, and i we got access to this through a library and i think that and the film war games have really made a difference to me along with what happens um, in my personal and my family life. Uh, and I think there was more challenges to come uh, um, with my mum, unfortunately, that she suffered with, with mental health, health issues thereafter because a very active woman in a wheelchair, pretty much mostly paralysed, um, it, was, it was tough and it was hard. But as, uh, as the doctor once said about my mum, she's a tough old bird. And uh, she she actually survived until 2012 when she died 10 years ago, um, night before the Olympic Games, um, before the opening ceremony in London. But uh, yeah, but she she lived a good life as, as best she could. But that really got me started into my sort of like interest in computers and technology. Um, I, I sort of left school at 16. How I got through school in those years, I don't know, thinking back now, but I had this ability to pass exams and, and absorb information. But we needed money, and I needed money. And my mum at that stage had been back home for a little while, and it was obvious she needed to go into a, a care home or a, a, a wardened area, which, which I couldn't join her. So I really was between a um, – I had to make a decision, what was I going to do? And, and I was at 16 years old, and you're not really – you can't leave home at that stage, but I sort of did. Um, and um, I went to college. I had the choice, really. I, I could have gone out and worked, but I didn't want to. I really was interested in, in computers. War Games had done this um, to me, and we'd had premier tickets that we'd got through a newspaper. I think it was a Daily Mirror was handing them out. And uh, it was just amazing to watch um, technology and how a school kid could manipulate a computer to change their grades. I think, why did I work so hard? I could have just uh, used the ZX80 to break in and change my... It's weird. It's, it's thinking back to that film, there's so many things and so many 
catchphrases, um, like the password that they use to break into the systems, um, uh, which is Joshua, um, and uh, and the first password at school, which is pencil. I bet there's systems out there now that were as weak as that. But this was in the, this was, again, it was in 83, 84. And I think a lot of people at that stage, IT and equipment computing had been brought to the masses at that stage. Um, certainly uh, a lot of school kids, but they played games and I was never into games. I was more interested in how they worked. And subsequently, because of what happened in my life, um, how um, how to secure them. And I think that's, how I initially dipped my toe. Um, I went to college in the East End of London and I took a BTEC National Diploma in Computing. And I think it's Computing and Business, I think. Um, It's a long time ago. But yeah, that's how, in a very abridged version, how I got into um, technology and cybersecurity, or or as it was called, then IT security. So you referenced the the movie War Games and I, I remember it much like you watching it. I don't think I saw the premiere, but um, if you think back, how uh, what computers look like uh, back in the '80s, they were massive. I mean, they they filled they filled rooms. Uh, I remember seeing my first one at the local university in in Southern Oregon, and uh, it it was it was a terminal. The people there were a little strange, but uh, again, massive. Um, Today, if we kind of think about it, the the same amount of compute that were in those rooms uh, is 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 residence on an iWatch, and in fact, the iWatch probably has more compute than than some of those systems did back in the days. Um, and then technology, you know, it's now embedded just in about every corner, nook and cranny of our life. It's it's everywhere. Uh, but yet, Hollywood, when you think about, you know hackers and 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 if they were to do war games over again um they'd probably go back to this uh, you know you mentioned it uh, you know changing your grades or or doing something that uh, it, it's usually a group of kids around a screen uh ensure that there's some drama associated with that but if you were to think about you know take your role as a CISO and and what your knowledge is of security um if you were to do a movie script and do it right uh what would you what would you how would you depict the hackers or the bad actors Good question. Um, I think most people's idea of a of a hacker is some uh, spotty teenager in a bedroom that hasn't washed um, for a month um, and that is literally fixated with his screen or her screen, um, etc. And I think that's probably true in the eighties. And and I would, you know, I was was one of those um, in those days because the internet, as we know, is actually was created in in really in the sixties. Most people, it, it, that's one of my, when they say the internet wasn't around in the, in the 70s, 80s, it was, but it wasn't wide, um, it wasn't widely used. Um, and it wasn't didn't really get widely used until later on when uh, Tim Berners-Lee um, created the uh, hypertext um, and uh, the World Wide Web. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting, the portrayal, Hollywood always does what Hollywood does. Um, and we we can look at the film Hackers as well while we're on that in, in the way that they portray these individuals. I certainly, going back to War Games, I, I love the fact that um, uh, the way the computer talked to, and it was just so easy with a couple of keystrokes. And he managed to break through some of the, then the most toughest security systems in, in the world to, to pretty much almost launch a Third World War just by one password. So, um, yeah, that that's interesting. There was... There was 
there was a couple of scenes in there where you look at this and you think, well, yeah, that's poetic license. But I, I think the betrayal and 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 where hacking is today, and obviously we've we've jumped a big gap there. I think it's far more like organized, well, it's far more malicious now. You look at, at hacking, uh, and in those days, in the in the eighties and nineties, it was just um, because people were interested and they wanted to find out more. And you've got to go back to the seventies to see where it started. With um, I don't know if you're, you're you're familiar with the term threaking, which was uh, a way in, in in the US where you can make very well free long distance calls, um, courtesy of, of Bell, etc. Um, and that spurned from there the, the, the sort of hacking fraternity. And one of the most famous guys in those days was Kevin Mitnick, um, who uh, is classes himself as, as the uh, most famous hacker in the world. Now I've met Kevin on, on numerous occasions, and I've worked with Kevin as well on a, um, a conference in London that I put together a few years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a good. That was a good day in Vegas. We were we were in Vegas once. Uh, we met for lunch, and uh, we just literally we had a business meeting, but we just talked about hacking in the nineties freaking we we talked about everything and it was really interesting because i think at one stage you know he was the archetypal hacker that was what you imagined in in the in the 80s and 90s ronald reagan um allegedly saw war games and it moved him so much that he was huge amount of investment um in security and, and it he was very worried about um that the, you know that a kid could dial up via a modem and and start a war or break in and get secret files. So it, it started from that. But Kevin Mitget come along as a, a really a social engineer more than um, a hacker. But um, and it, it was interesting because he was wanted by the FBI. If you get to read a book, Ghost in the Wires is an excellent read. It's interesting and it's based on the truth. It is the truth. Um, but he was fight. I remember speaking to Kevin and I said, well, what do you regret the most? And he said, well, the four years in solitary confinement, because people forget he was caught five years. Because the president at the time allegedly believed that you could pick up a phone and whistle down it and start World War Three. I mean, but, you know, this comes from the unknown. It comes from people don't understand. And really what, what Kevin was about was, was just looking for... Um, trying to, to, to open up a computer, try to find out what's in it. He wants you to know, and it's that inquisitive mind. And I think that's what hackers are or were. And it's to try to, not well, it is beat the system, but understand the system. I think where this has come now many years later and, and with now from being a hacker to a, uh, wearing the CISO's hat, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's now more, my, I don't fear teenage kids unless they're working for work for uh, what we would class potentially as nation state or um or organized crime and there's a there's a very very gray area between the two terms they're not mutually exclusive in certain states so i think from from our perspective you're looking at the multi faceted attack vectors that we've got to defend against um from from that perspective I think I've gone all over the place with that answer, but does that answer your question about, um, you know, from Hackers Then and Today? And if I could make a movie, well, obviously I'd be in it as the star. Um, but I loved Mr. Robot. Have you seen Mr. Robot in the first series at least? That was brilliant. Yeah, uh, I think that you're, you're absolutely right. That one uh, is, is closer to the depiction of a hacker. Um, if I was to think about hackers in in 
you know, another 80s reference. I don't know if you've seen the right stuff, but Chuck Yeager is always talking about pushing the envelope. And uh, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, that's what hacking was about, pushing the envelope of technology, finding out where uh, the limits were. Uh, but, you know, to your point, uh, it's changed now and it's now a money game. And, and uh, you've got nation state actors, you've got uh, organized crime involved. Um, and, you know, if I was to make the movie, that's probably what it would be is it'd be uh, Tony Soprano and uh, his gang. But, you know, instead of running down people and doing hustles, uh, they're doing it over a, a computer. So uh, that's where I would go with it. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, um, I still travel into London. On a, on a regular basis and I remember looking up many a time and people are just zombified on their phones they're glued to their even tablets their mobile devices um uh, anything electronic uh they're, they're wired in almost and it does you, you think about where we are today and how influential technology has been over those years and if you can in heart, if you can break into these systems, if you can leverage them, and we've seen what can be done with elections, et cetera, and, and the manipulation of social media, um, it just shows you the power. You almost don't need to hack the system anymore. You just need to manipulate it in such a way for your own purpose. Uh, and this was the skill of a, a social engineer where you, you know, you could have the best locks on the door. Going back to locks again, earlier quote. You could have five or six locks on a really solid door and it could have armed guards. You could have alarm systems. But if you could talk to the person inside and persuade them to open the door and let you in, all that investment, all that training has gone out the window. And this is what I try to uh, emphasize certainly with my um, with, with the, those that work for me and, and, and the people that work in my organization when I'm delivering awareness seminars is actually looking at um, the weaker link because a, a hacker's not going to be uh, today a malicious criminal is going to think, you know what? I really want to challenge myself and break into the latest intrusion protection and AI. I want to break through all of that to show them that I'm the best. No, what they're going to do, they're going to go for the easiest possible route. And if that means I can talk to, uh, I don't know, UJ and get you to open um, or click on something or do something that, that makes it easier for me to access, of course I'm going to do it. Because my end goal is not to know how clever I am. My end goal is to take your money. That's the difference between the hackers in the 80s and 90s and the hackers or malicious criminals today. Um, they have this arrogance of knowing they're good, but they'll do the easy option first because why not? And it's about scattergun approach and then finding the target and then they're going uh, pretty much for the kill. So I think the world has changed. And um, whilst technology is amazing and we live in an, an absolutely unbelievable world, with that comes a huge amount of responsibility for the security fraternity. You know, it's our job to protect this and 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 to not ruin um, this era because people are fear fearful of actually um, using it. Uh, I was talking to one of our clients recently and um, not wanting to. Oh, I don't like using banking apps. I don't like. I'd rather go on the web. Well, actually, a banking app on a on a lockdown phone or or a non rooted phone is probably the safest thing you can do. Um, it's just getting the psyche. It's trusting the technology. And I've always said this before. Trust, but verify. And I still think that's as relevant today as it was when I think it's a, it's a KGB saying that Reagan used to use in the 1980s. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time we're in at the moment. And I think um, it's, it's down to us and other security leaders to actually 
you know, we need to carry the flag. We need to, and not only for us, I think we need to look at the next generation. I'm sure we'll get onto that question later. Yeah, so I've been quieter on this podcast than I normally would be because as much as I've heard your story before, it still like takes my breath away a little bit. I mean, you've had, unfortunately, your father died relatively early. Then you had a situation with your mother. Clearly, you're a very resilient and, and very strong person. And and I'm curious to know if that has helped you in, in your life of being a CISO because burnout's a big thing. Um, it's hard. You have to make really hard decisions. So I'd really be interested to 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 hear your side of things. And if you think the fact that you've had these huge struggles and you've kind of got through them, I wonder if that's helped you deal with your, your day-to-day kind of situation. And I wonder if that leads on to kind of what kind of traits people need to survive in, in, in being a CISO right now. Well, um, I'm going to quote someone now. Um, it's an unusual one here. I'm going to quote Bob Marley. You never know how strong you are or can be until being strong is your only option. I think that's very relevant to many people. And and I certainly don't, you know, you know, I had to deal with it. It was there. And I think um, you never know how you're going to react until those things occur. One thing's for certain in life is it's taxes. Um, we're we're going to die and you're going to have challenges. Very, very few people. Um, have a, a seamless existence it, 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 while they're on this on this water coal. So I would say, from my perspective, uh, yes, I think it it certainly made me who I am today, for good or, or for bad. Did it influence me? Almost certainly, because of the the events shape your life. Certainly from a security perspective. Um, but I think you still have to have it inside you to to want to learn now. CISO is quite a, a modern-ish term. Uh, it can mean so many different things. I've spoken to CISOs that really aren't technical at all and have no idea about technology, but they know how to talk at senior levels and they can liaise with various stakeholders. I also know very, very technical people um, that really don't communicate that well at, at, at senior level. I think from a from a, a CISO's perspective, who knows what's right? Who knows what, what good looks like? I think it's it needs to be effective. Uh, I think you need to be an effective communicator, but I think you need to be that in all senior management roles these days. Um, and I think um, that certainly from my past, it, it helps. But I, I'll give you an example. I was driving uh, on holiday um, earlier this week, driving um, to meet a friend, and um, something comes to me like that. I'm on the phone, talking to a member of my team, we should do this. I had a new idea for a use case and we could create a playbook. This is literally just driving down a road on my holiday. Now, that is me. I don't switch off and I always get these ideas. And I always seem to have these when I'm actually not at work and I'm doing something else. But that's a good thing. And I think a lot of this is you need to have it in you to want to do that. And I think you need to want to be, um, you want to, you need to want to work in IT security and, and infosec. I think it's important that that is not a way it looks like there's a lot of money in that or we can do that because you're not going to survive without having a passion for it. You need to have a passion for security. You need to have a passion for helping people as well, doing what's right um, and and protecting your your organization's greatest assets. And and when I say greatest assets, I mean the people, the clients, the the staff, humanity, if you want to be 
wider on this because we are so dependent upon technology these days. We are so dependent on, on data. And there are so many enemies that want to disrupt that and disrupt our lives that we need to think outside of the box. It's, a, it's an old term now, but it, you do. And with technology and the difference between cyber and infoset and just, you know, uh, from a CIO's role and a CISO, let's, let's look at the two different roles. I wear both hats. With a CISO, sorry, let's start with a, a CIO. A CIO will introduce technologies that are usually tried and tested. They are, um, you're using like Microsoft, you're using SQL, you're going to be using um, IBM, you'll be using IBM. So you'll be using stuff that's established and you know it's reliable because that's your focus. CISO is a little bit different because you're trying to protect. Therefore, you actually want, yes, you need the traditional structure and the processes, but you also need to think, I need cutting edge stuff here because, you know, it's not about reliability. It's about finding the bad guy, finding the weaknesses, gapping things. You need to have layers and layers of this. No one solution does all. So you're out there looking for the latest and greatest that can protect your organization. Totally different to the stable CIA's view where you don't want to actually get bleeding edge necessarily because that means potential downtime. Whereas a CISO is a little bit different and they have to be because, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to have the, the controls, the technical controls and, and the technology, you need to look beyond just the standard um, solutions that are out there. So there's my take on the, on the differences. There's lots of other differences, by the way, but I would say one thing, I am a firm believer that security and IT security stays within uh, the IT department. Many organizations try to separate it. I think this is a big mistake because security needs to be embedded into the fabric um, of an IT department. And there's so many businesses out there that, that see it differently. The larger ones would have a separate security team, totally isolated or siloed from IT. And actually, you know, that's sort of governance or whatever purposes, but you can make it work. And you just need to, to look at what the benefits are of keeping your IT security team very, very close and integrated as much as you can with your infrastructure team, your networking team, and, and let them have complete control when it comes to, if you have a change, it has to be agreed by the security team first. Because if you make one mistake, you potentially let someone have your crown jewels or take out your entire network. So I think, the, you know, the stakes are so high. It's um, it's important you get that right. I, I think the reporting structure, like CIO, CISO, where they should report is is a very interesting topic. So we're thinking of doing a round table where we invite a bunch of CISOs and CIOs along to have like a, a debate on that situation. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on that one. Um, but John, I report, by the way, I report into I've reported into a CEO. I reported into a CFO. And I now report into a COO. So I think I've done just about everything at the moment. So, um, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Joe. No, it's fine. I, I was just going to say, if whoever listens to this, if you are a CIO or, or a CISO and you'd be interested in having a debate on where you should report, um, then give us a shout. But, John, I could could see that you were interested in asking another question. I want to go back a few minutes because you said something very interesting, this dichotomy between uh, the CIO who, you know, prefers a more stable, established uh, set of, of products and technologies and vendors, whereas the CISO um, now is, is put in this situation where um, times have changed. You, you've got 
cloud, you've got SaaS, um, you've got applications that are built, you know, in, in the major clouds. Uh, you also have to protect this legacy uh, data center and, and the systems that are there that, you know, if, if the company's been around for a long time, that the company relies upon. Uh, there's really this, this new world order that uh, has been established. Um, how do you kind of square between the two and how do you evaluate technologies when uh, the, the CIO probably prefers, uh, and I hate this, this term drives me nuts lately, it's, it's next generation firewall uh, because next generation firewall is what, almost 14, 15 years old. Is it really next generation at 14 or 15? It, it, it really should be called enterprise firewall. Um, and the CIO probably prefers, you know, it, enterprise firewalls everywhere but that solution just doesn't work it's 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 like the 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 Marginot line that the, the the French used in World War II that was unsuccessful um how do you evaluate and and really my my question is here is uh software and, and cloud and SaaS have have allowed this explosion of technologies especially in the security space um as a CISO, looking at how to defend, how to protect, uh, and and secure data that's just in about every nook and cranny of, of this planet, um, how do you start to evaluate vendors? Do you look to establish vendors? Uh, do you consider startups? Uh, what is kind of your view on protecting uh, these crown jewels of the enterprise and balance that as well with the needs of the employee, the human capital, uh, and, and make that uh, application access their jobs fast and efficient. It's, it's kind of a, a, a tough challenge. I think it is. Um, I think you need to look at it. From, and I've always, I've always looked at this at one, and I love the way the, the next gen file, well, it's all XDR today, isn't it? It's EDR, XDR. I think it's just some, someone comes up with an idea to sell products. That's all it is. Um, and I, know, uh, I would say that right now, it's going to be unusual, uh, and, and we'll use firewalls. No system is infallible. We know that. If you're trying to protect your perimeter and you think you've got the latest and greatest firewall to do that, you have got to be right 100% of the time. All the attacker needs to do is be right just once and they're inside. Once they're inside, however, they've got to remain hidden 100% of the time. You reverse the roles. You become the hunter rather than the hunted. So what we've done and we and, and I would do as, a, 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 as, you know, this is what I would, I've built as, as sort of my layered approach is that you assume you, you've been here. You assume right now there's people in your network. You have to do that. Um, I think it was heavily quoted that um, someone stated that, that there's those that have been breached and those that just don't know they've been breached yet. Um, but if you assume that people are going to get through, and it doesn't matter what you do, because the only way to truly protect your network is to turn it off, all the computers off, lock it in a cupboard with an armed guard. You're pretty safe then, but you're not going to be able to get anything, all your data. So... From that perspective, you need to have the right level of controls and assume they're in. So you're hunting, you're looking for that needle in a haystack. So from that perspective, that, that sort of, you need areas of, uh, or controls at every layer. So the way I approach this is to, first of all, look at what the business strategy is. You have to do that. You have to align to it. There's, there's no getting away from that. Then you need to look at the type of business that you're in. Once you understand the business, 
and you understand the business model, you can start putting layers in that are important. Now, that could be that you might be an on-prem business mostly. You might be hybrid. You might be totally cloud. But either way, you've got to look at where these layers exist. And then you've got to come up with controls for each layer. So you'd have the network. We're going to be just simplistic here. We'll have a perimeter layer. Then we'll have a network layer. Um, and then you'll have something like an application. This is not the ISO model. This is the various layers that you see it in your system. And you have controls at every single one of those layers. It's a bit like a large onion. Uh, and every section of it, and you're trying to protect right down to the core, which is the key assets. Now, that's either IP, data. It could be humans, whatever. But you've got those controls, and they all need to link and communicate with each other because the chances are someone could stay hidden in one of those layers if they do very little. It's when they jump and move about, you've got to have technologies that can pick that up and report him back and say, this looks unusual. So I think... That's the approach I would always take now with this. And you need to work alongside the CIOs because they're delivering a service to the business. So you're delivering um, a service to the business, but it's slightly different to them. You're making sure they, they, their, their technology can actually function because it's irrelevant. I can make the quickest system in the world, but it will be the quickest system as well for everybody else to access as well because there's limited security. And there's always this playoff against functionality and security. We know that. But I think ultimately, we certainly, or I certainly approach it with security first. Um, try to deliver what the firm wants, but in the securest way. And there is no compromise to that, and there can be. Now, in this uh, January, sorry, March 2020, on the 20th of March 2020, in my own organisation, um, we had six offices in, in London and around the country, around the UK. Uh, on the 26th of March 2020, we had pro approximately 700 offices around the UK. We had to get everybody out at home working remotely. Um, we had about 30 or 40 remote workers before, and they just literally loosely connected on a laptop. We had traders and dealers. Our dealers had eight screens, um, and they all had... Um, demands to use a system. They also used video IP phones. And we knew that an app phone is not going to work. So we had to roll out, and this was my decision. And I rolled out um, 300 video phones. Now, the foresight of that, and this is answer your question about the technology, you have to look a bit in the future. And I see what was happening in December and January. And I had a feeling something like this may occur. I could not have uh, anticipated what was going to happen with lockdown and COVID. But I looked around and I knew there would be a supply chain issue. So I, I, I sort of twisted the arm of the head of risk. Um, she twisted the arm then of the CFO and they released the funds. And we got, we purchased uh, uh, 200 laptops and hundreds of video IP phones from, from Cisco. And that was a big, um, you know, th this was a big game changer for us. And then I have to look at the security and think, well, okay, we know we can secure this. How are we going to build this into a usable model that I can ship out in this new hybrid world? Now, that's where the need and the technology outstrips the security where you've got, you're almost playing catch up. But thankfully, we'd already built this model and we'd um, we tested it a year earlier because we had a, um, a war room and one of it was a pandemic. So uh, we were a little bit ahead of the game on that. But yeah, I mean... This is where you start. You're starting to build a protective shield around 
your organizations, you've got to look at the weakest links. You've got to look at the technology, the processes, the people, and make sure that they all work for you. I think where we we where many organizations are struggling today, I think they've 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 got the working from home. I think we've we've, we've gathered this. I think where we are now is is attackers are going for the weakest link. They're going for supply chain and they're going for clients. And that's obvious. So we see emails that are hacked all the time. Uh, and I talk to numerous peers in the industry and they're seeing all their clients' emails and lots of them being hacked, compromised. And most of them don't realize it because unfortunately, whilst we have the latest technology and a very secure portal, et cetera, clients rely on um, potentially computers that are decades out of date. Um, and they, you know, they're using very, very old tech. And the problem is technology is causing this, but it's also the cure. If you could upgrade and you could bring in some of the new technology, you can actually have a very, very secure environment. 99.9% of cyber breaches and attacks um, could be fixed if we did the basics. That's us. All we have to do is the basics around security and you can protect yourself um, 99% more than you do at the moment. So I, I think we're coming to the end of this, this kind of podcast. I think we're getting a bit short on time. So I appreciate you you coming along, but I, I guess I've got kind of a final question or, or, or two questions before we kind of finish. And it's a similar question that we ask everyone at the end of the podcast. And that is, if you could, well, twofold, if you could give yourself some advice, both now if you were 18 years old and you were trying to get into the industry, but also if you go back into the 80s when you were kind of getting started, what would you advise yourself then? And obviously those scenarios are very different because we live in a very different world today than we did then. But I'd really be curious to understand what kind of different advice you might give different versions of yourself. I think I, I it's just a very good question. Um, firstly, I, I think I would say registerengland.com, um, uh, computers.com, and anything else.com you could have registered when that come along, apart from buying loads of shares in Apple or Microsoft and everything else. Um, actually, um, from my perspective, I, I think life, you know, it's been a struggle part of it, but actually it's been a wonderful time um, experiencing new technologies and people, et cetera. Um, I'm, I'm really pleased where I am now. Um, and I think, you know, from, from my perspective, I would have probably said go to university if I could have done then. Um, that's my big, and I, I went to university later in life. So I went to college. I would have loved to have gone to uni, um, but I couldn't, couldn't afford it. Um, you know, yes, there's grants those days. I needed to eat, I needed to live, and uh, I had to support, as I said, my mother as well. So I had no choice. I had to work. I got away with going to college. I wasn't going to go away then and going to university. Um, but it never left me. And that later on in life, I, I managed to go back to university part-time, weekends, over two years, sort of university uh, existence, um, uh, we certainly drunk as much as I would have done years ago, that's for sure. And I've got friends for lives. Uh, and these guys I met and these, these women I met, uh, met at university are friends for life. And we speak to each other. We all work in the industry. They're very senior as well. And, you know, we get them any advice I want. I go to them. They call me. I get lots of calls on them. 
um, help them out with things, CVs and things. Um, and I would say stick up your dream and never give up because ultimately there's only one thing that should, that's going to stop you, and that's you. Uh, and and I think when, but I'd like to finish on one thing of a major, and I think this is really important for people out there that want to get into the industry. There, there's a lot of bad press at the moment. People are leaving IT sector or the IT security sector. I think the last thing I read, 30% of IT security leaders are thinking of quitting, etc. This can be one of the most rewarding careers you'd ever um, ever wish to get involved in. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be massively. Um, I would say rewarding it really is and i think people should look at this it is hard work but it's really interesting work um you can get more information i've got my own website johncosson.com and i've got some blogs on there and some interesting information but i really now at my age i'm looking at how i can bring the next generation on and i think we need to as a nation and we should stay at the forefront um, of technology it we invented Remember, we invented the, the computer. Forget what you read anywhere else. This was at Bletchley Park, and people should go to Bletchley Park and see how we did this. The electronic programmable computer was built there. Um, we also created the World Wide Web, and we had a large part in the Internet itself with, the American, with our American cousins. Um, but we should be proud of our heritage. And we should look to where we want to be in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years when I'm going to be long gone. But I want to know that this country and, and our cousins as well, we work very closely with the Americans uh, and even the Europeans. Um, and we want to move forward and we want to, to, to you know, don't let the bad guys win here. I think this is a perfect opportunity now to bring young bloods into the industry. And for that fact, I'm taking some apprentices on uh, in the coming months. So I'm starting to that and fulfill. So that's what I'm trying to do. So I, I appreciate you you coming on. Like I said, I've known you for a while, um, but I think your story is an interesting one. I think you talk from the heart. Uh, I, I'm really interested in what you've got to say. I've read your blog. I know John's read your blog. So definitely people go along and do that. I'd love to invite you back again at some point. Um, John, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add. No, this was extremely insightful, not only on a technology level, but also on a personal level. Um, really, thank you for your time. Thank you, guys, as well. It's been really useful and interesting. And and I've listened to some of your other podcasts. Uh, they're really good. So uh, I'd recommend people um, listening. But great. Thank you very much. And thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.